Welcome to the School Connect podcast. At School Connect, we know it takes a village to help every child reach their full potential. So, each episode, we'll hear stories of normal people who became heroes, solving community problems in powerful and creative ways. We know these stories will inspire you to create the change you hope to see. So Tracy, um, as you have shared in several of our meetings, there is a specific need in our schools around special education. And as I was listening to you talk about that, I went out and did a little research because you know that's kind of how I roll, right? I, I like my I stats. Um, and I found out based on some quick search that about 15% of the world's population lives with some form of disability. That was a much higher stat than I expected to see. And not having a lot of exposure in this area, it really made me pause and think of how does this impact schools? Yeah, I I think that there is a wonderful population of students uh, who are special needs. And, And so sometimes, you know, we get so busy thinking about the majority of students that we don't think about the power of this minority who are um, precious to us, to our community, and who have needs that we need to respond to. And and I was just really thrilled that we get a chance to talk with somebody who has really made this their career to really be able to inform us about yeah. you know, special needs students and and how they thrive, what they need to thrive, what they what they teach us. Uh, in school, you know, and in life. So I'm excited about that. Very good. Very good. So who is our guest today? Yes, we are honored to have Kareem Neal. Kareem, thank you so much for being our guest on the School Connect podcast. We're thrilled not only to get to talk to you right now, but you have agreed to be the MC for the School Connect Summit on January 25th. 2022. And what we thought was, oh my gosh, you're going to be doing all this work um, as an MC. Maybe you won't get to fully share more of your story behind the scenes. And we wanted to give you that shot. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited for it all. Yeah, it is a very exciting topic and one that as again, as I was doing my research, really reminded me of the significance of us having the conversation So, you know, as Tracy was kind of setting this podcast up, she shared with me that you have spent 25 years of your career in special education, and that is an enormous amount of time. I look back at some of my positions, and after about five years, I was thinking, what's next? But you've invested so much into this population for 25 years. Where does your passion for the special education come from? Well, uh, initially, it like I, I lucked into it. I actually went to a high school like most high schools. It was a relatively large high school I graduated from, Willingboro High School in New Jersey. Shout out to them. Um, relatively large. Uh, you know, I, my graduating class was about 400 or so, and, you know, it was about 1,700 to 2,500 students. And um, I did not know of the self-contained special education classroom. And I realized when I got into special education, and that's kind of far from the course for many people. Many people will finish their high school career and never have met the students in a self-contained classroom. Right, right. Which, which kind of where a lot of my advocacy comes from. But where the passion came from, I, I, I was 
working at Seton Hall at the time. Like the, I worked at the, the Seton Hall University. Shout out to them as well, my undergrad. And um, I was like working in the rec center as the dude who like swiped your cards in to get you into the gym and all that. And then weekends we would set up events. And one event was the Special Olympics. And I like, I was setting up and somebody was like, you're really tall and, and, uh, and a lot of the athletes are, are wanting to talk to you or whatever. Do you mind coming over? And I was like, sure. And then when I hung out with this group of like athletes who were about to, you know, about to do their Special Olympics thing, I was just all in. I was like the authenticity of the kids who were like my age at the time. I was, you know, I was a 20 year old, 19 year old, and they were 18, 17, whatever. And I was, I really didn't get that. You know, you don't get that too often when you are kind of a, a standard college kid. We are all dressing the same, looking the same, talking the same to make sure we fit in comfortably and, and not right. have any problems. Well, this was like a different thing. And I think, it, you know, not only was really attractive to me, but it, it, it brought it out of me too to say, oh, I don't, I don't have to be like everybody else. I tried right. long right. enough. I am already this six foot seven inch black dude <laughs> in, this, in this world, right? That, so I'm already different. Stop trying to hide and just be you because that's what my students are like every day. So the passion comes from that. So like being in class with students with special needs every day is one they like like coming to school yep um you know and, and particularly self-contained that population of folks they love coming to school they love to show you their authentic selves and yes. their authentic selves. and you just don't get it enough in life and it kind of keeps encouraging you to do it so right the passion part is easy though because when imagine if all classrooms in the country all the students love coming to school right it would, make life, it would make life so much easier for teachers it's that you know that my gen ed folks they you know they struggle with that a lot particularly like after covid and you know there was online learning right. and then we're back to school learning it's like oh school maybe not the place for me whatever it was that never changed for my kids they they were so excited to come back to school just right. like they were today we came back from the first day after our two-week break for winter break and they were super, super excited to be here. Nothing like being able to deliver a product or a service, I'll call it in the business world and have your audience value that. And I think that's what I hear you saying is that you invest a lot as a teacher and to be able to go into the classroom every day and to have the folks that you're serving really embrace that to, to really enjoy it and make the most of it makes your job much more exciting, right? Yes. I mean, you know, we, we're teachers because we're hoping to, you know, have our students like develop some love of learning and that my students have. Right. It's, and it's interesting because typically folks with learning differences, I think a lot of teachers, you know, the thought of just how do you do this? You're, you know, you're teaching these basic skills or, you know, having to teach something 20 different times for someone to get it. But I think the important thing is like they are uh, they are a bunch of students who are like giving everything they have to try and learn a concept from you, and that you can't that you can't wear down from that, right? I can I can teach a lesson and it not hit if I know that they're all trying so hard. So it's like okay, how do I figure out a way to now make this lesson hit maybe tomorrow because they're ready to learn it. I just got to figure out a way to to deliver it, you know? 
So they're like sponges is what you're saying. And you know that the motivation is there. And then that's constantly motivating you to figure out a way to connect all the dots for them. Yes. Yes. It's, it is, it is definitely a world in which you will, you will really thrive in it if you're kind of like, you know, all about asset based, right? Mm-hmm. I am saying, all right, this student loves to move around. So get them moving around so they can learn. This student likes music. Let me let them listen to some or, or whatever it is. Um, because you're always saying, like, it's not about them not wanting to, this is different than, you know, how the, the, the trope of the disaffected kid who just wants to be on the cell phone. I don't have any right. students like that. I have zero right. students like that. And I have not <laughs> in, in my 25 years. I don't have a student who's like, no, I'd rather be playing on a cell phone than learning. Not one student. All wow. of them would rather be in my classroom, building a stronger classroom community, building a stronger school community. They're those students. And so it is really important for schools to to kind of recognize them and and kind of make sure your school's not leaving out the population that's in self-contained classrooms because it really can enrich the school culture. Yeah. One thing that I really want to highlight that you said that I don't know that anyone else will have heard if they weren't listening closely. I was coming into this podcast thinking learning disability. And you said something that just shifted my mind in ways that I never thought possible. Do you know what it was? Learning differences, I'm assuming. Learning differences. What an amazing perspective on the Mm -hmm. topic that we're having. It's not that they're disabled. It's they learn differently. And that's exactly what you were just saying is that you are able to tap into how these individuals learn and you're able to then cater your lessons and the concepts to how they learn. That is brilliant. That is the plan. Yeah, that is the plan every day. (laughs) The other part that really um, impacted me about what you said uh, in the last few minutes is that they're not spending emotional energy covering up. They're not trying to fit in. They're, They're actually kind of unveiling their inner person and you're able to bring out their natural curiosity and you're able to adjust to their learning style or like the learning differences, like Tim said, that mm-hmm. you said. And that's that's incredible. That means that you get like you're actually getting the whole person. Yes. You're getting to impact the entire person. And it's energy, all the energies landing. Mm. All the energy is landing. It is true. It is true. And and when talking about the going back to the concept of learning differences. You know, it. I first heard that through um, Understood, um, the understood.org, a really great organization for special education, if y'all want to check them out. And I, did, I, I was a fellow for two years uh, through them. And, um, and when I first heard it, it caught me like it caught you, but it made me think about, like, I, I went through a gifted program when I was in school. And, and so I, and I was, our school didn't have one, so I was being bused to another school, and it was and it was all this mess to try and get me my gifted services, which was cool. Um, but I, there was never a time where someone said to all of my Gen Ed friends, which were most of my friends, right? Most people are in Gen Ed. Uh, not not once were they like, "Why aren't y'all learning like, that? right? Why aren't you learning at the rate that he's learning? Why aren't you?" And so they did not center this through 
oh, gifted kids, right? The kids who are maybe learning the fastest, whatever it was, right? They didn't center it that way. However, they do this with special education, right? They say, oh, this is how you're supposed to learn. Since you're not learning this way, we will essentially kind of avoid you and not pay as much attention to you. But, um, you know, that, that hierarchy is not quite the same, right? It's not like, oh, but then there's gifted. So should all the gen ed students in school be, you know, thought of as people who can't learn, <laughs> you know, or whatever? That's not how that works. But it, it seems to work that way for like self-contained population when they just learn differently. And that's right. kind of the same. It's the same difference between gen ed and gifted. We, we're, it's just a bunch of people who learn differently. But, but I really think from a society perspective, we all learn differently. I know as a business leader, there's been times where I've gone through you know different training courses and they've tried to educate me. Some people learn tactical. Some people have to hear it. Some people have to um, write it. Everyone learns differently. But the fact that we have kind of placed that in a different perspective and you've really taken that to the next level. So when you think about the 25 years that you've spent in the classroom, what is what has driven you to stay in the classroom? Because I have to assume, just based on listening to our conversation so far, that you've had the potential and the opportunity to do other things outside of working with the special needs population. Walk us through that decision tree and why you have remained in the classroom. Because we are so fortunate that you have, but whenever I think about my career, I'm always thinking the next ladder, the next place, where can I go? And it sounds like you've done that, but from a different vantage point. Yeah. I mean, it's been interesting in that it seems that the, you know, the the more success you're having, the more people are trying to take you out of your classroom. <laughs> so I think about, you know, probably my first, my first five to even to 10 years of teaching, it's not like that was happening, right? It was, I was a new teacher right. finding my right. footing, I, finding my voice, which is important, right? And when, but when it started happening, then it was the admin, heck, come to this business job or whatever right. it was. There's right. there so many people. And then uh, on 2019, winning state teacher of the year, then it was everyone in the world was trying to take me out of the classroom, <laughs> which right. I thought is, is the funniest thing ever. It was like, oh, you win, you know, this humongous award for teaching, and now we want you to not teach anymore. But you know, for me, there's never been a time where I was even that close, other than money wise, huh. right? So I, I had right. three jobs for a while there. I was, I was uh, working respite and habilitation after school with the student for about 20 hours a week. So I would do some weekend stuff. And then I was driving Uber and Lyft. And, you know, that time I, I, would, I would think about, man, finding a job where I didn't have to, you know, earn. But there still was really no times where, you know, I, like I had some big offers after winning state teacher of the year that were fun and stuff like that. And I'm always just like, nope, I'm going to be here until the end. So, um, but, I, but I think for me, a lot of it is selfish. Like I, I am not, a, like a lot of people say, oh, you're a special education teacher. You must be the most selfless person ever. I'm like, no, not, and not in the slightest. <laughs> like, I, I am saying there's this, there's this there's thing I know I love. I know I love students that I teach. Like, I know I love students, right? I love the students that I teach. I love the classroom environment. I love the community building aspects of working in a school, which is why, you know, dove, dove into the restorative justice piece on top of it. Now I'm at a place where I'm not worried about, like, starving. 
right? I don't have to work three jobs. <laughs> you know, my salary is, is better now and stuff like that. And now I'm like, oh, there's no chance I'll leave because I know that I love it. And I, and I think it, there's this, this, there's this, there's an importance to doing the thing you love, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, even, I, though, I, even though we live in a society where it's like, well, making money makes a lot of difference, right? We are, you know, we live in a capitalist society. However, like if you find the thing you love and you can live, how, how, do, you, how do you leave it? Agreed. I think I've heard it said that if you do what you love every day, you'll never work a day in your life. And that is what it sounds like is what you're saying is that when you really are living in your passion and you're really doing what you were designed to do and what you love to do, things that are important to others just aren't important and you figure it out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm working three jobs and I still, I still didn't leave. Right. I can, I can right. love. Right. That was the thing that feeds, you know, feeds your soul and my mind, right. My mind is, is right. working all day. I have, I have a bunch of students who learn differently. So my mind is constantly working to figure out different ways to do that, to instruct. And so, you know, I, I get, I get all the bags full. I remember I was in therapy before uh, when I was married. It was for that, but still uh, my therapist like to talk a lot about like, you know, there's, there's this cup not being filled and you're doing X to get it filled and you're doing what, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think in, in my work life, I get filled that way. Right. And, mm-hmm. and even I, I don't have uh, children of my own, but even that part of me, the caretaking part of me also gets uh, doing the job. And, and I think that's maybe the unique part about teaching high school, but teaching self-contained high school, I still do a lot of caregiving. So tell us what a day is like for you in your self-contained classroom. Describe um, so, I mean, in class, I mean, my classroom looks, I, and I've tried to make my class look a lot like kind of a typical class. Like, I, I like the, the vibe of typical, except my class is in a U shape, so that um, if, if I'm in the front, we, uh, we form like a circle, and, and, and being a restorative justice, circles are a big part of that, right? So we all, we all get to see each other at all times, no matter what student is talking, every single person in class can see them. And that, that is important to me. But outside of that, it looks a lot like a general classroom. You'll, I mean, we're getting videos are being played on whatever topic we're learning from, the smart boards on. I'm talking for a little bit. They're talking for a lot bit. Um, there's typically writing portions. There's always reading portions. Just because my, a lot of my students um, need kind of extra reading and writing. And so I figure out ways to kind of get more of that in there than maybe is happening in, in typical classrooms nowadays where, where there's a lot of computer learning and stuff like that. We're still definitely doing a lot of the, there's paper in front of my students, there's a pencil in front of my students, and, and they're doing some of that kind of stuff. Um, and, and not just for, you know, because you can type and write your thoughts out the same way, but also for, for a lot of my kids, fine motor and those kinds of different things. For the writing and then lots of lots of reading and um and it's helpful to to have it on larger paper for some of my students who have visual needs and things like that so i, I mean it, but it looks a lot like class other than like well we take students to the bathroom right change them even though they are 14 my youngest kid is well now 15 but in the beginning of the school year they were 14 a couple of my freshmen and my oldest student is about 20 because um, a lot of my students stay uh, past 18. The graduation requirements are a little different. And so it looks a lot 
same other than that, right? So we do a lot of then we're in the bathroom with them, helping them learn skills like washing hands properly, cleaning themselves properly in the bathroom, right? Even some students have goals related to dressing, but then in the cafeteria, I go with my students and help them eat as well, mm-hmm. right? So some mm-hmm. students have feeding plans. So it's, a, it's different in that respect. If you watched a lesson, you might say, oh, it's similar to a standard mm-hmm. lesson. Maybe not quite what you would expect if you just walked into a high school classroom learning. I, I teach history and world history right now in physical science. Those, it would look a little different in gym, but it, similar. But that kind of stuff is where you would see the big difference. When, when we take students to the bathroom and to the cafeteria, and, wow. and take them on campus, they ha- they're they with us at all times. So it's a lot yeah. different. Wow. I don't get the so just You, you don't get much time off during the day. No, I mean, I, no, no, I still get a lunch. I still get a lunch. A little, and, okay, all right, good. Just want to make sure. <laughs> so <laughs> what happens is right after they have lunch, then I have lunch. So, so it's just worked out staff-wise, right? It's, mm-hmm. yeah. My, yeah. It's so, a nice dance that is going on that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how it looks different. It would be like a blend of, you know, what you might expect from a PK or K class with a high school class, right? Right, right. It's like, you know, in a pre-K class, we are cleaning tables and, you know, and stuff like that in my classroom. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. You're always adjusting to the particular needs, which is is cool. Well, Kareem, you've also... um, been really passionate about a, fo- a focus on restorative practices. Can you describe what that is and why it's so important? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I think many people have heard restorative practices or restorative justice um, a lot in maybe the last 10 years or so as, as kind of alternate ways of looking at discipline, right? Mm, and yeah. so... I mean, but when, when we do it, so, and well, I said we, it used, I used to have, it used to be a team at our district. We have five of us. Um, and it was led by this dude, Ben Clark. Shout out to him because he's amazing. Um, but he no longer does it. But he was kind of like our lead. And it was like five of us. And we went around our district constantly giving restorative justice classes to try and teach all the teachers in the district, which is almost impossible. And one as large as my district is, Phoenix Union High School District. But anyway, what we are focused on is the community building aspect. Because I, I think what people have just kind of heard about restorative justice, they either heard of it politically, like some people are like, no, no, people aren't being disciplined hard enough anymore. Or yes, yes, let's, let's do away with all the discipline. But that's not the crux of restorative justice and, and restorative practices. It is building a community so that you can then have restorative conversations and then have lower, you know, incidences of discipline happening. Mm-hmm. So the restorative justice is more about the community building. That's why I talked about earlier when I talked about my class is like my students are shaped like a U and then I'm here and we can make a circle. Like community building circles is really huge in restorative um, justice. And, you know, uh, uh, if you, I suppose if you Google restorative justice you, and played something, you probably would see a circle in which some people are working maybe through a problem. Um, but I really think restorative justice needs to happen. Restorative practices need to happen all the time. Community mm-hmm. building needs to be happening all the time. And it's extend from your classroom to the school community so that everyone feels more connected, invested in the process. So they do not want to cause harm 
right? So that is like what it's about. It's about building these strong communities so that you don't want to harm them. Mm-hmm. It's the reason why teams do so well in terms of like uh, sports teams, right? When, when a school has a good sports team, everyone's dressing alike and they're all going to the games or all have, and they are like this community and yeah. they are like ride or die for each other. Uh-huh. Well, that's what we want classrooms to be. Like you want your classroom to feel like that. Like mm-hmm. we are all coming to enjoy this thing that we all love together. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, you don't want to really mess it up. And if you do, you're willing to fight to fix it. And that's kind of the concept. Because you're, I mean, in simple terms, you're actually building relationships, which give a context for everything that is happening. You're building that closeness, a sense of belonging, overcoming loneliness, misunderstanding. Yes, all of that. Um, and, and then you're understanding kind of the story behind the story. A lot of times the way people behave is, is because there's something happening in their lives or a history that they're living out again when they're being triggered. And so this is an opportunity to, to see the whole picture and have the whole person, again, engage together. And that circle means there's no one person who's going to be left out or left behind, that this is about us, right? Definitely. Uh, which, which I just love and is very core to the whole the whole theme of School Connect, right? It's that, that same thing, that circle around a table with everybody caring about the yeah. the the benefit of every child, like every child is only going to thrive if they have the kind of support they need. And the truth is every person needs that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it, it covers a lot of the, the things that we talk about that had got buzzy over the last few years, like culturally responsive teaching and social emotional and all that stuff. You, uh-huh. This is how you tap into that. With you know, without having to deal with it after the fact, right? So a lot of times we, <laughs> we wind up reacting to the student who said, uh, you know, uh, an insensitive word in classroom that triggered someone, right? Uh, uh-huh. but, but a lot of times it's like, yes, we we say to a bunch of students, don't say the N word, don't say the B word, don't say the R word, whatever it is. We're not we're not giving them context. Right. But when they're sitting there listening to their classrooms talk about their culture, they want to respect that, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of stuff that you have to do. You cannot just react. And you can't just put, I think a lot of people think it's like this um, replacement for discipline is, is not that right. It's, it's like on top of whatever discipline practices you have. But what it's about is being able to get people in the room to try and work through something because yeah. typically you know, in the past, it, and it worked a little better. In the past, it was just like, you two did something wrong, you're out. And you come back a few days later. That, how did that fix anything, right? And right. so you, you, you're hoping to build the kind of place where two people who wound up harming each other will actually then talk to each other and want to, to make the other person feel valued. again. Yeah, which builds hope and it builds resilience. And it's actually what we want to foster everywhere. <laughs> So it's a, it's a really, it's a really good thing. Yeah. Well, I know in these last few minutes um, that probably we should probably check in with you being the 2019 teacher of the year. That, that's an, that's a pretty incredible experience. 
And so just give me a little highlight. What is What did it mean to you? Because this didn't happen like early on in your career. No. This is this happened after you know, 23 years or something like that. So tell us about what that was like. Yeah, I mean, it was... Um... That I mean, it, it was hard to describe the what it did to like my voice, right? It amplified it so much. But um, you know, go, I I would have never thought earlier on. I wouldn't have thought that this award was like for a person like me. I think working in self-contained settings, you are so often not really thought about when it comes to schools, right? Schools, a lot of times, it's like you know how how the, how are their AP courses that you know how's their testing like, <laughs> yeah you, you know these kinds of things that bring attention and maybe heightens the school's letter grade or something and so a lot of times you you didn't feel like you were part of it all and so I don't think I would have been thought about that right and 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 I didn't you know I didn't think I had a big enough voice and I started speaking when I part of it doing restorative justice work and stuff like that speaking around the valley and somebody nominated me and then the process happened and the process is a long process. It's a tough process. Um, and yeah. And so when, when I was there that day, when they announced it, like I didn't even stand up. I didn't believe it. And it was so many things like, you know, people were like, you, you know, you're going to win, you know, self-contained. They, they've not had a self-contained person. They've not had a black. Arizona teacher of the year, all of the things. And I'm like, I don't like those odds. No one likes Owen's 35 odds. <laughs> and so then, it, you know, you it's just like you won this big award and you know it's a huge thing and you're in the boat more and there's 400 people yelling and balloons falling on you. And and so I just kind of give this speech and then like, uh, you know, TV stations and magazines started coming up to me and then I was like, uh-oh, like I got to Now I got to say the right things too. Um but what, what was really huge that year is, like, I remember needing things for my classroom, and the Arizona Republic did an article, and next thing you know, people are sending stuff to my classroom, like washer and dryers and, uh, so cool. and microwaves. And I was like, man, I wish all teachers can go through this so we can all get a little taste of what was happening. Because we, I mean, you know, we went to the White House and Space Camp and uh, all the state teachers of the year together. It was really great. And, and Arizona Educational Foundation, which is amazing. It became yes. like my family of other state teacher of the year helping me out and, and giving speech training and, and all of that kind of stuff that, you know, changed my life and helped me see, uh, you know, I, I got to travel to other schools and other places. And, um, but, it, but I thought the, be the best and most important part is it's like it amplified my voice. And I felt like my voice needed to be heard. I'm like, I've been doing this for a long time. And, you know, a lot of people don't talk about self-contained special education and not enough people, in my opinion, was talking a lot about restorative justice and those two things. I, I dove headed, you know, I dove in feet first and, and made sure that the world heard me as much as I could, you know, and, and still, awesome. still going, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of the, the big thing. I mean, it was, it was a wild year because I, I had, like, I hadn't missed and I had been in Maryville at the time. I think uh, 12 years and I have missed six days of school. And wow. that year I missed like 80 days of school because I was mm. you know, traveling, traveling around. Yeah. I was just like, I went from being the most reliable teacher ever to my students being like, are you leaving us again? Like it was tough. So There's definitely some ups and downs, but, but you know, that voice, and, you know, so it wound up bringing my students a lot. 
That's awesome, Kareem. Yeah. Well, I'm, we're really excited about having you be our MC at the summit and so grateful for all that you bring, who you are, all your years of love and service and the wisdom and perspective that you bring to that, I think is a voice that needs to be heard in the midst of all the, the gathering of partners and educators that we'll have. So we're super grateful. Thank you again so much. Great. My pleasure. We can't wait to have you. And Tracy, thanks again for bringing up this critical point that we've talked about today. And it's my hope that as individuals listen to the podcast today, they really understand that our special needs students who are learning different need a community around them. And it's my hope that you will really, when you think about schools, that you will make sure that you understand that there is this population of individuals that often are overlooked and really need the community to come around them and to support them. Because at the end of the day, by us supporting them while they're in school, they're gonna be better um, citizens as they mature into adulthood and be able to support our community. So thank you again, Tracy, for a great conversation. Kareem, it's so nice to meet you. So excited about what you're doing. Really appreciate what you're doing, the investments that you're making and how you brought this to the surface. Um, thank you very much. Great being with you, Kareem. Thank you for listening to the School Connect podcast and for being part of our village. Be sure to follow, review, and share this podcast on your chosen platform because more collective voices equal more progress for our kids. If you're interested in finding out more about School Connect and seeing how you can make a difference, go to schoolconnectaz.org for more information.